You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Phoenix fans, say it with me. We are PHX. We are PHX. I want you to check out a brand new Phoenix Suns podcast called The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns podcast. Tim Tompkins, Greg Esposito, Dave King for a weekly Phoenix Suns podcast. You can find The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, and sunspodcast.com. We are PHX. We are PHX. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast Part 3 of our 30-team NBA preview with members of the SB Nation family. And today we're talking about the Phoenix Suns. Ben had a last-minute conflict, but we are joined by two of our best Phoenix Suns experts from SB Nation's Suns blog, Bright Side of the Sun, Dave King, the managing editor, and Evan Sidery, a new contributor. They give us some great insight into what the Suns are looking to do right now, the timeline and what that means, whether that timeline will be disrupted by a Kyrie Irving trade, which it sounds like Suns fans don't really want. So that's interesting. They talk a little bit about what the progress was with these young players, Devin Booker, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender. And then we talk about some of the unfortunate near misses in Suns history, including the Nash years and all that. And if you could erase one of those near misses, what would it be? Uh, So it's a fun podcast and a really insightful podcast. You get great local insight into a team that is not covered a ton nationally and even not really locally anymore either. So you're never going to get you're not going to get any better insight than this on the show. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes, and we really appreciate it if you leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing, especially with these team previews. We want to know if there's something that you like about them, what you don't like, you know, because we have 27 more to go, and we'll tweak them as we do leading up into the season. So give us some feedback. Leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. You can also send us questions for these podcasts. As you see, we ask a lot of them. If you want to hear directly from the experts about what you want to know about, you can send us those questions at limited underscore upside on Twitter or at Mike Prada at SBNation.com. You can find us, of course, on Spotify, on Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcasts and on SBNation.com slash NBA. That's that. This is the Phoenix Suns podcast, part three of 30 limited upside team previews. We've done the Nets. We've done the Lakers. And now the Phoenix Suns. This is the limited upside podcast. We are back with the third of 30 team previews in the Limited Upside NBA Team Preview Series. Uh, We're actually going with the team with the second worst record. We cheated a little bit. We're sorry. We got uh, the Phoenix Suns up, and we have two of uh, the best experts at SB Nation has to offer on the Phoenix Suns from SB Nation's Bright Side of the Sun blog, Dave King and Evan Sidery, not Sidery, Sidery. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing great. Well, it's been a it's been an interesting last few weeks for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I get the sense from reading your site that there is one topic that is dominating conversation. Today is August fifth, and so far Kyrie Irving is still a Cleveland Cavalier. We'll talk about Kyrie Irving plenty on this show. Uh, but the first thing I want to I want to ask you all, uh, and I'll I'll start with Dave, and then Evan, you you fill in what you think the answer to this is. Is you know if you had to describe the mood of the Phoenix Suns fan base right now, where they haven't really done a whole lot this summer, which, you know, sort of by design. They've got this young team. They have this the timeline hashtag that you're going to have to explain to me because I do not understand where the reference was, where it comes from. And they have to say the Kyrie Irving rumors on the horizon coming off this 24 and 58 year. In one word, Dave, what's the mood of the fan base right now, you think? Uh, bored, I guess, would be the <laughs> one word I would use. It's it's August. Uh, the Suns have intentionally not done anything. And actually, the fans really didn't want the Suns to do anything this summer because what McDonough has been doing with at the uh, likely at the urging of Sarver for the last several years was try to make that big splash to suddenly become relevant again. 
You've got um, the attempt to get LaMarcus Aldridge. You've got the attempt to get LeBron James in the year prior. You've got you've got all these attempts to make the huge splash, and it just hasn't happened. And the Suns find themselves in a tenuous situation coming into a training camp because they went halfway but not all the way on their on their moves. And so this summer they finally just breathed, settled back, and um, a lot of that was because owner Robert Sarver was finally convinced that you cannot build a team on the fly. You cannot build this team on the fly. And they've gathered enough young guys to be able to just watch them grow a little bit. And they finally got the pulse. Sarver finally got the pulse from the fan base that they were okay with that. I'd probably piggyback off of what Dave said there. I'd probably say patience would be my main word because really the fans are really balling on hashtag the time on the, like what you said. One of our fans, actually Chris Hansen made that from California. He really brought that up and we brought it all in the, mainstream there but we have six percent of the roster is going to be under 23 years old so if you want to embrace the youth embrace the current struggles that we're going to have for a little bit might as well do it right now so so there's no like specific like nobody said in an interview like the timeline it's just like where where did that come from i'm really curious uh, well, so uh, it started out actually uh robert sarver actually had a meeting with season ticket holders in say february march sometime after the trade deadline and for the first time when he's met with season ticket holders, either he got I wasn't at the meeting, but uh, either he got the impression from the fans or he brought the impression himself. But he said, look, uh, we're not we want you to buy season tickets again, but we we want to accept the fact that we're not going to be contenders until 2020. And so and he mentioned he didn't use the actual word timeline, but he basically said that for the first time since becoming an owner, I've learned enough lessons that. And we finally have enough of a base on the on the team as far as young players and draft picks that I feel comfortable saying that it's okay not to be in the playoffs for the next three years. But I really still want you guys to be excited because of the youth that we have and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, uh, if Sarver turned, uh, then everyone else was allowed to and McDonough was allowed to turn and people started feeling comfortable with with that and just some guy like uh, Evan just said, uh, uh, Chris Hansen on Twitter, we have a lot of uh, a lot of guys on Twitter who talk back and forth to each other rather than in the comment section of our blog anymore, just because Twitter's great because you don't have to worry. You just get to post it and everybody sees it and then you don't have to actually get involved in a conversation back and forth if you don't want to. Uh, so so Twitter's the old comment section of blogs and uh he but said we want you back <laughs> we yeah, want yeah, you back we do want our, you back. our actually, comment section has all the great stuff there too <laughs> it really does actually a lot of the guys stay in the comment section but some of the older veteran guys um uh stick around twitter as much or more and one guy uh, basically said could could our timeline be like the sixers process uh and he didn't actually use a hashtag and then Greg Esposito, who uh, ran the Sun Social for uh, five years and has been a Suns fan his whole life, actually then just taglined it in the next tweet, quote tweeted him as the timeline, and then it just stuck. And hmm. within days, Devin Booker was saying the timeline, and oh, other God. players on the team <laughs> were were saying the timeline. So yeah. it's taken off. Okay, I uh, I think the process is better. I I like the inspired attempt. Uh, the process I, is longer. The process sucked when someone first came up with that, too. Come that's on. true. Yes, you're right. I feel like if you guys beat over the timeline in my head, I'll finally accept it. But as of right now, well, I'm still not. If it works out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although that didn't stop the Sixers from talk, repeating the process, the process, <laughs> the process. So what we're really talking about here, obviously, is the team is really young. They Devin Booker is 21 at this point turning 20 20, 20. No, he oh. won't be 21 until november uh, august or sorry he won't be 21 until october 30 or 31 wow he's young so you have him you've got marquis crease and dragon bender marquis chris and dragon bender from the last draft you have bender will be 20 all season and marquis chris will barely be 21 yeah and then you have uh josh jackson obviously and when we He's we said and we sent uh, Christian Winfield out there, and he was talking about those are sort of the three pillars of the team. They're four players, but it's Booker as sort of the, the best player. It's Josh Jackson as the Swiss Army knife. And then it's the combination of Chris and Bender as the front court duo. Is that sort of how they look at it right now, Evan? 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think Bender and Chris are sort of an experiment right now, trying to decide who's going to be the four, who's going to be the five more long term. But for sure, I'd say Booker is the main person, the main who's going to get all the attention from all the fans right now. They don't even want to trade Booker for even someone like Kyrie straight up, which I agree with. So really that and also Josh Jackson, the Swiss Army knife, like you said. So I'd probably say that's the main four pillars for sure. Yeah, I think there's still there's still some thought. And it's a it's a strong thought. I mean, these guys are 19 and 20 years old, but there's still some thought that Bender and Chris can coexist. I actually believe that uh, if if they both develop, they can both switch off taking turns um, just for momentarily guarding the center position and switching out onto a guy on the perimeter and then settling into their uh, natural power forward position, just trading off all game long. They're both pretty really quick. They both have good lateral movement and they both have good verticality as far as defending the rim. Bender doesn't fly, but he certainly has good verticality on defending the rim and good timing. So I think the two can develop, but uh, neither neither is going to be the power forward of the future because I think they're just going to be the front court of the future at best uh, where they're trading each other off on positions. Yeah, we are going to make you choose later on in this podcast between those two, and I know it's going to be hard. <laughs> um, but you say all this stuff about the timeline and how it's pat- the patience, and you know there were rumors obviously that they would be in on Blake Griffin and Paul Millsap, and those got shut down real fast. So you, it's clear they're serious, and yet we're hearing about Kyrie Irving. So where are we at at this point? It sounds like if the cat, if the Suns were willing to throw Josh Jackson and Eric Bledsoe in, the deal would be done, but they don't want to do that. Uh, and so now it's sort of like, well, what other combination of players uh, we get done? But, I mean, do you think that this is – it sounds like fans don't want Kyrie Irving. Is that a fair read? I think the fans are really bought into at the moment. And you know what? If you're in ownership, you really need to milk this just like the Sixers did. (laughs) If the fans are bought into a three-year timeline and you don't have to spend a bunch of money on a guy who could leave in a year or two um, or draft picks or or prospects, then don't. And so, yeah, I think the fans right now would say – well, the other thing is that Kyrie Irving is not an ideal fit next to Devin Booker. I mean, you're looking at at a backcourt that – actually arguably could end up being better than Lillard and McCollum, for example, because both of those guys are a little smaller. Uh, But you're also looking at a ceiling of something along the lines of a Lillard and McCollum, which is you're probably not going to win 75 games. You're probably not going to win 60 games and you're probably not going to win a championship with those two as your backcourt because neither plays good enough defense to make the big difference in a playoff Series, so you're going to have to be subbing them in and out with guys who are defenders. So I think, I think that's the mold that a Lillard Booker backcourt would be. Would be a McCollum Lillard backcourt, and that's great. Uh, but I don't think it's it's something you really really want to actively spend a ton of money on doing like the Blazers did. No, yeah, it's definitely more like a want, not a need, because they already have Eric Bledsoe. He's a pretty underrated point guard, and most out there, but um. Outside of them, I'd say the defense is pretty – like Dave uh, – oh, excuse me. Knocking off a of Dave there. Um, the defense there is pretty nonchalant, not going to get you over the top. But if they wanted to have Booker and Bledsoe together for two more years, why not try Kyrie and Bledsoe for two years? Because either way, they're not going to bring back Eric Bledsoe, I don't believe. So it's really just trying to get the best package together for the least they can do and see just try for two years, see what happens. Well, what, what is that package? In your mind, uh, what's like what's the least that you'd be willing to or the most you'd be willing to trade to, to bring Kyrie Irving to Phoenix? I'd probably say I wouldn't even touch any of the pillars there, but I'd probably say TJ Warren, Bledsoe, and a first round pick. Their first round pick? Because, you know, they also have Miami's all of Miami's picks. They have their 2018 pick. They have a long one in the future in 2021. That's the that's the most you'd be willing to give up for Kyrie Irving. I do just the Miami pick. Yeah. Yeah, see, that, that's, you know, that's not getting it done in my – I mean, I, that's, the Cavs just aren't going to do that to me. Well, the Cavs are, are not going to do that this summer. But if you look at the DeMarcus Cousins trade, eventually, depending on how the relationship goes, eventually a team is willing to give up a, a player for less than everyone thought he was going to be given up for. Um, I wouldn't go any further than that either. In fact, I, I do just want to make one little comment that uh, that I heard is it doesn't have to be – the Miami pick or one of the Miami picks in the new collective bargaining agreement. You can actually 
add uh, further protections to traded picks. So the Suns could even do so. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even trade a top seven protected Miami pick in in 2019. Uh, and then uh, I think it's 2018 top seven protected and 2019 unprotected. I would add extra protections to it so the Suns get to keep it if it does end up being good. And I know that won't get it done for Kyrie this summer, and that's fine with me. Uh, I wouldn't actually go any further. But if at some point the Suns are going to acquire somebody, I just wanted to point that out. The new CBA allows you to modify your traded picks and 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 keep portions of them like that with extra protections. That's a good point. Now, obviously, we're not the ones that need to be convinced here. You talked about Robert Sarver finally accepting that, you know, we got to build slowly. And it's probably hard for him. They've been out of the playoffs for – when was the last time they were in the playoffs? 2010? With that, great, that great season they had. And we'll get to that 2010 team, by the way. We'll have plenty of time for nostalgia. But so it's been a while, and now to wait, you know, three more years, I'm sure it's hard. Do you, what are the chances that Sarver himself stays with the courts here instead of looking at what it sounds to me like both of you are saying is the Kyrie Irving, and Evan, I'm curious what you think, the Kyrie Irving shiny toy here is like sort of what they've they've fallen for in the past. You know, it's the Lamarcus Aldridge. It's the, you know, superstar that they've tried to chase. And it's not the ideal fit. Now, Kyrie's 25. He's still really damn good. He's better than anything they have on the team right now. But, you know, and I, maybe Suns fans would disagree. I think that's a fair statement. But it's still the shiny toy. Like, Evan, what do you think the chances are that Robert Sarver accepts that they need to continue this rebuild and doesn't get distracted by this Kyrie Irving shiny toy out there? Once they took Josh Jackson on draft night when Sarver and McDonough both spoke, they really were after they were really embracing that staying patient once they got Jackson. They had they talked about how they were looking at Paul George, looking at Jamie Butler, looking at DeMarcus Cousins. They had all the ammunition they could to do a deal like that, but they held back because of that. They wanted to stay patient. So really with Sarver, he's been preaching it recently about staying patient. So I'd be pretty surprised if they pulled the plug on that right away, but for someone like Sarver, he sees someone like Kyrie Irving, one of the top guys for Nike right now, make, make a lot of money, put a lot of mm-hmm. fans in the seat. So, but um, I'd probably, if I was Sarver, I'd stay with the timeline because that's really your best chance you're gonna have at getting a title here. The butts in the seats thing is that like a real thing? Because you know Kyrie's the number two Nike athlete. You know he may not be a superstar in basketball game, but he's a superstar in name. That's for sure. He also, definitely is a superstar in name, and he's got he's definitely going. He would sell tickets for sure. Uh, to watch the Suns play. And that is always a huge consideration for an ownership that's looking at a um, 50% empty stadium with the exception of giveaway tickets. I mean, they were they actually were able to physically fill the stadium mostly this past year, but it was Good. on giveaways and discounts and stuff like that. So, which is nice because then it was actual fans and actually the the arena felt a little bit more alive than it did the year before. So I was actually uh, fairly excited about that but if you're robert sarver you're you'd rather sell the tickets at the full price so uh definitely kyrie irving would sell more tickets so it is encouraging that sarver um was was okay with the 2020 timeline and with this core but i want to make a couple of comments on that one is if the suns are within striking range of a playoff seed somehow in the first half of next season I can say I can I can imagine this Kyrie Irving type rumor uh, growing again, uh, suddenly popping up again. If the Suns are in the uh, bottom five of the standings by the end of November, December, then um, the patience will be there. So it all depends on how the Suns start the season. Luckily, they are uh, currently building the roster to start the season in the latter uh, uh, suggestion, which makes them top bottom five through December instead of playoff uh contending in fact i wouldn't be surprised if the suns um do something around training camp to slough off tyson chandler the way they sloughed off martian gortat if you guys remember the oh suns i remember <laughs> coming yeah you would wouldn't you Mike? i uh, would yeah, remember definitely. yeah 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 I certainly and, remember. Uh, at the beginning of training camp basically the Suns sloughed him off plus uh, any other contracts they wanted to and and uh uh, oh, Kendall Marshall was included, who was a who was a hot prospect. Yeah, um, they but, basically get, uh, got a first round pick. It was basically him for a mid first round pick. pick for the salaries they didn't want, plus Marching Gortat, which 
um, was actually, you know, a really good trade for the Wizards, really helped the Wizards out long term and helped the Suns alleviate some roster clog that they once again have coming into this coming season. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that happen again. But again, reinforcing the the 25 win season and not the uh, surprising 35, 40 win season. Real quick, uh, because we get these questions a lot from listeners, and we, we want you to send those in. You can always do that at limited underscore upside. This is from Baby Dragon uh, on Twitter. Is there any realistic chance that the Suns are in a trade uh, for Kyrie, but they're not getting Kyrie, and they're getting the, a young prospect to kind of ship Kyrie up to New York? Maybe Frank Nielakina. Uh Is there any chance that they're the third team that doesn't get Kyrie in this scenario, or not really? I thought about it a lot, and it sort of makes sense on the surface because he's only 19, 18 years old. But if you're shipping off Bledsoe, who's 27 years old, and you're adding him with the young Ross they already have, that's a little too young for my liking. So I'd probably stay away from that, but uh, keep the assets in for a big fish down the road. I personally, if I was the GM, I would I would be more inclined to do something like that, to take back a Nilakina-type uh, young guy rather than a Kyrie Irving who's going to want to – He's been in three straight finals, so even though he's not necessarily the guy who leads you to uh, 50 wins all by himself, he's going to feel like he he deserves that and should have that. And so you you do run the risk of of an unhappy Kyrie Irving. Uh, whereas Eric Bledsoe, even though he really does want to win, has been an awesome uh, good soldier for this team over the past couple of years and really encouraging the guys. Well, except for when the sun shut him down and he was mad about that. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's the thing. He was mad about he was mad about being shut down instead of being allowed to keep playing in a 25 win season with guys who were not meant to win games. Whereas a Brandon Knight, for example, was offered playing time and he refused it. So I'd much rather have an Eric Bledsoe on my team than a lot of uh, other veterans who who would end up being disgruntled about being on the team. Bledsoe was mad that he wasn't allowed to play with the team. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. We'll talk a little bit about Bledsoe in a bit. Um, I also Suns also have a lot of cap space still, although I think only for this year they have about twenty million or so, so they can take back bad salary for assets. They're kind of the one team out there that's able to do that. There are fewer teams. So that's another way that they could be involved in, in a Kyrie trade without getting Kyrie, is it not? Absolutely. Yeah, they can absorb a contract to take on a young player for sure. All right. So we'll we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into some more specific questions about this year. We're done with the Kyrie discussion. We're landing it in the ground. Now we're going to talk about the team as is. So if you're tired of the Kyrie Irving trade discussion, like just keep stay with us. We're done with it. We promise we will be right back. If you're like me, you know you have to shave, but you don't like doing it. The razors are expensive, the gel is expensive, you have to kind of switch them out a lot, and you cut yourself while shaving, you've got to use all this product in order to have your skin moisturized. It's just not a very fun experience, and it never was a fun experience for me, and I really didn't want a beard. That changed when the Dollar Shave Club came to my inbox. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's got this great Dr. Carver shave butter. It feels really smooth coming off your skin. It actually makes the act of shaving fun, and I love that. And it's also a great deal. You can get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. They send it to you in the mail. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to get either a really expensive razor or a cheap disposable razor that gets a crappy shave. You don't have to do any of that. It comes right to your door. It's a great life hack and a great no-brainer choice. And it's got this amazing butter that feels so good on your skin. It almost doesn't look like shaving cream. It's nice and clear, and it just doesn't feel like shaving cream. And you don't have to get all those other products in order to have your face properly moisturized. It's a terrific deal. You get all the stuff you need in shaving in one with the Dollar Shave Club. And now, lucky you, for a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 a month with free shipping. And after that, raises are just a few bucks a month and you can quit at any time if you don't like it. That's a $15 value for only five bucks. 
And in that first month's box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of more cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter, all for just five bucks. And after the first month, these replacement cartridges ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, cancel anytime you like. But you can only get this offer exclusively through the Limited Upside podcast. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash upside in order to take advantage. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. Dollar Shave Club, the smarter, more convenient, and more comfortable way to get a close shave. And we're back with the uh, Phoenix Suns preview with uh, Dave King and Evan Sidery from Bright Side of the Sun. And folks, I, I want to get into this discussion with y'all because by the end of the year, I think there weren't a lot of people paying attention to the Suns, uh, as I can underst- as I think understandably. But you guys obviously were. What is something that maybe the larger national discussion missed about this team last year, good, bad, or indifferent, that uh, you think is worth pointing out to people uh, to give them more insight into where this team is going? Just how young this roster is. In what sense do you mean that? Do you mean that? I mean, we all can look at the ages and see like how the ages are. What in what manifests is that like something that people don't really understand? Someone like Dragon Bender, Marquis Chris, they're really like rushing the judgment. Then there are going to be projects. A lot of guys in the roster are projects. So there's going to be a a good timeline, like they said, a good hashtag the timeline through like 2020. Once they're to that point, they should be at their developments. So taking it slow and steady with this team's going to be the best way to go unless people want to try to rush it still yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna make yeah i'll make a comment too i think what people uh missed and and i'm gonna go on a limb on this one um i think people probably don't see earl watson as the best coach in the league and uh, (laughs) well (laughs) you don't think he's the best coach in the league (laughs) i do not think he's the best coach in the league what i think people missed is that Earl Watson was also there's a couple of okay there's a couple of aspects of Earl Watson that I think were missed and it really frustrated him and made him really sour on the media this past year including on everybody who was in the media room before and after games as well um, but I kind of don't blame him what's missed on Earl Watson is that he was also learning too and the Suns gave him an opportunity to learn he's only actually been out of playing for 3 4 years and he's only been coaching um in a responsible role for a year and a half the guy doesn't really know how to coach and he's going to get better. So maybe he doesn't get better, just like a Dragon Bender. Maybe Dragon Bender never gets better. Maybe Marquise Chris never gets better. But we're all giving them time, actually. If you actually ask somebody, do you think Marquise Chris will be better in three years than he is today? Almost everybody will say yes. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, but if you ask somebody, do you think Earl Watson will be a demonstrably better coach in three years than he is today? People will almost universally say, no, you are who you are as a coach. Nobody gives coaches growing pains. Nobody gives coaches opportunity to grow into uh, being a better coach. You either are good or you're not good. And so I think that that part was missed in that the Suns actually gave Earl Watson a chance to learn while he was coaching, learning how to coach. And so now the, the proof will be in the pudding. If in three years he's a better coach, great. If in three years he still sucks, then everybody was right. But the same could be said of anything. That You know, that's a really good point because he was, what, like the player development coach? I mean, he was way down the totem pole when he got promoted. They let go of their the top two or three assistants before they got to him. Exactly. And they so he didn't even have veteran assistants for three months. Yeah. He, he basically had to bring Bob Hill out of retirement literally off of an island. <laughs> that's not right. coaching anywhere. <laughs> He literally came from being, from being retired on an island, and he, he had the deepest tan in the world, and he showed up, and he he was just Earl Watson's confidant because they had known each other from Earl's playing days. And then Earl got some uh, coaches this past summer in, uh, in his former coaches. Um, um, uh, let's see, from – shoot, now, now, now I'm drawing a blank. But you've got the former jazz coach, and you've got the former Toronto coach, Jay Triano. Jay Triano, uh, yes. And shoot, Ty Corbin. Yeah, Ty Corbin. Um, as his top assistants. And that's great, but those guys were all learning how to be assistants with each other. And Earl Watson is a type A personality, and so he's not going to let anyone else run the team than him. So anyway, I'm just saying that I think what the what everyone nationally and even locally missed 
is that uh, Earl Watson also should be given an opportunity to be a better coach in two years than he is today. Well, that should answer Gavin Smith's question, who asks, is Earl Watson a placeholder coach for the Suns or coach of the future? Very clearly, you're saying coach of the future. Well, he definitely knows he's also a placeholder because he's good at culture. And so if you're going to be an awful team, you might as well have Earl Watson, who's a player's coach, and gets all the players to stay on the same page. Jared Dudley gave Watson a huge compliment saying, look – He's not the best coach in. The, he's not the best X's and O's coach in the league. But man, does he get everybody on the right page and keep, keeps him in the right mood? So the timeline applies to the coach too. It's a very good point. Now I want to go back to Bender and Chris because I know that they're a package deal in the Suns' future. But I'm gonna I'm gonna force you to make a choice, Evan. Um, if you could only have one of those two players be a frontline player for the next ten years, so basically one of those two gets a second contract and the other one does not, who do you think fans would rather see succeed? Dragon Bender. Why is that? He brings the defense that Marquise Chris really has been struggling with throughout last season and in summer league. He still struggles on pick and roll defense, which should be really basic for him, but he's still falling on those mental lapses. And then Dragon's also a really good perimeter shooter. He showed it off in summer league, and he knows how to get to the basket and make plays for other people. He has more of an all-around game compared to Chris, so I'd probably lean more toward Dragon. Is that you talking uh, what some fans would want? Is that you talking as a talent evaluator? you think he has a better chance? Uh, or what do you think is better for the Suns' future? Is it that Bender is the one that emerges before Chris does? Obviously, it would be ideal if they both did. But I'm making you choose because I'm mean. Oh, I definitely think Bender, yeah. I think he has a much higher ceiling on both ends compared to Chris if he reaches his potential, obviously. But he's still only 19 years old, so I think give him a couple more years and more round out of his talent, I think he'll be right up there, I think, with Devin Booker, honestly. Dave, what do you think? Um, Okay, so I am going to, just for the interest of the – not just for the interest of the show, but I also uh, do have a little bit different opinion. I really think Marquise Chris will end up being – uh, the better long-term pro. I think Marquis, well, let me let me put it this way. Marquise Chris will be the more popular uh, player and he's going to make more money in his career. Uh, hmm. And because he does, everything he does is highlight worthy and uh, he does have a really great attitude. So he's, he's kind of like um, uh, really, really just oblivious right now as a 19 year old <laughs> kid. Uh, but yeah. he is one of the nicest kids I've ever met. He's entirely respectful all the way through the season. Like most rookies are respectful on day one, but by the end of the year, they follow the veterans lead and they're not as respectful to media and play, people like that. Marquise Chris is awesome. He's great. He's really respectful. He he knows what he needs to do to get better. He just doesn't exactly know how to do it yet. And so um, I do, I do have confidence that his light will turn on. I do know that uh, former players and current players have more of a um, of a like for a Marquise Chris type than they do a Dragon Bender. Some of that could be cultural, uh, because Bender doesn't really get you know he's not really one of the guys uh, right now because of the way he's you know same same with a lot of the Euro guys. Um, so some of that could be cultural, and some of that is is development as well. And and Bender may turn out to uh, grow his Type A personality, but Marquise Chris already has the Type A that you need to succeed in the NBA. Yeah, see, that's interesting to hear. It seems to me like someone's got to light a bit of a fire under Chris to compete all the way through. He's almost too nice, um, but that's me looking in on from the outside. So certainly in terms of play time, I just he, I feel like his his effort is kind of all over the place. Now, he's also It, it is kid. totally all over he's the place. He's a kid. He's a kid, right. You know, but I, I mean, Bender, it's sort of almost the opposite problem. His game's all over the place, but uh, his effort maybe less so. So... That, I think, hopefully answers your question, uh, Paul Kajak. Uh, or, sorry, that was Min Timberwolves asking about Bender and Chris. Now, one more question I want to get to before we get to some of this, you know, the more esoteric ones. Uh, what do you think fans are most excited about this year? Is it is it to watch Devin Booker do his thing again, or is it for something else? You know, what is what it makes fans most excited, and then what makes fans most nervous about, you know, obviously I don't think that anyone expects a team to be really good, but about this future about the timeline what's what makes fans most excited and most nervous i'd probably say definitely watching the young core all grow together that's probably what everyone's looking forward to right now just seeing how they all mesh together because right now they have they have their two through five so seeing all those four those four grow together for the next couple seasons see where it heads them so i'd probably say that's the number one thing right now 
Yeah, I would say actually Devin Booker would be a perfect answer to both of those questions, Mike. Oh, yeah? Uh, I think, yeah, people are most excited to see Devin Booker become a star, a real star, not just a star who can can score 27 points in in seven minutes in a game or who can uh, put up. I mean, he started that fourth quarter in that 70-point game with, I think, 42. So he had had the three highest-scoring quarters in the league, I think, this year. Um, Something, you know, so... So the guy is is fire when he's on fire and and fans would love to see him become the superstar and the and the perennial all star that someone like a Kyrie Irving has become or someone like, you know, uh, uh, Damian Lillard, who uh, you don't have to be the best defender and you don't have to be the best at anything else. But if you score like crazy, people will love you and vote you into an all star game. That's what fans are excited to see. But they're also most nervous because. If he just becomes a score only guy who's awful at everything else and doesn't, but he's not awful at everything else. But uh, so far, he's been bad at everything else. And if he continues to be bad at everything else, then we're all just going to be disappointed because he's the he's the best hope for a star for the future. What do you think is the kind of season they that would be like an ideal Devin Booker's third season to say like, okay, we saw what we needed to see from him. And I, you know, as a corollary to that, I'm kind of curious, like we haven't talked a lot about Bledsoe and yet he's always in these trade rumors and yet quietly he's been quite good. I don't think people realize how good he's been. And yet it seems like he's always in trade rumors and it doesn't seem like people really want to get him. You know, it must maybe see injuries. I don't know. Is it, that they want to see Booker with his, the ball in his hands more. Like, if we're talking six months from now, what is the sort of thing that I think a realistic outcome that would please Suns fans with Devin Booker, Dave? Uh, I'd say uh, keeping up the uh, twenty to twenty-two point scoring, but also averaging between five and six assists and four and five rebounds, because he absolutely has that potential. Even as a twenty-one-year-old, uh, the the kid really. It, the thing is, okay. Here's my theory on this past season. My theory on this past season is that Earl Watson and Devin Booker came into the season mutually saying, Devin, I'm not going to call plays. I want you to try every shot on the court. And then at some point, we're going to narrow that down to your best 20 versions of shooting. Because the guy uh, uh, showed that he can be a great post-up player. Devin Booker did. Uh, Mid-range guy, pull-up guy. Um, catch and shoot guy. He can do it all, but he did so much of it all as a as a twenty year old that he wasn't great at any any of it except for volume. And so as he develops in his career, he's got to be able to narrow that down to the things he's really really good at and and hone those strengths and become unstoppable. At the same time, he has shown really great vision as a passer and and a, and a and a ball handler. And so I think. For him to really, for Suns fans and me to be really excited for him, he's got to be like that really good secondary ball handler who can who puts up five, six assists a game, who, uh, as he's driving in, delivers the ball to the right guy for the right shot as opposed to always taking the shot. I think last year was an experiment, and I'm really expecting some maturity and growth this year out of him. Well, that that it's going to be interesting to see how Bledsoe fits in because Bledsoe is another guy that you know he's played with other point guards, but he's probably at his best when he's running pick and roll and passing out. So that's why I'm really curious about that. Uh, so it'll be interesting. well, with, but with Bledsoe, uh, Bledsoe actually in his ideal role, if you actually uh, profiled a team, uh, for example, a LeBron James team. Uh, putting Bledsoe in with LeBron James would be perfect for Bledsoe because he'd still be able to get his five or six assists a game. Uh, but James would average seven or eight assists a game because that's just who LeBron James is. Bledsoe doesn't have to have the ball in his hands every time, but if he does, he's going to finish the play. He's either going to pass it uh, to somebody for a shot or he's going to, he's going to take the shot. Um, but he's not a great catch and shoot guy. Right. And and then if he's got the ball every single time, then you can start trapping him and then it becomes frustrating for him because he's not the most creative passer in the world. So I think him as a as a pseudo primary secondary ball handler is the ideal role for him. So I think that would actually work very well. I hope so. I got a soft spot for Bledsoe. I think he's really good and people don't realize it. And I feel like if he can stay healthy, he could have that sort of late emergence Kyle Lowry type of career. But that is just me. Um, all right, let's 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 shift gears. I've got a few fun questions prepared, and I want to start with Evan on this one. Uh, stuff that I think Suns fans would be interested to hear. Uh, stuff we kind of ask a lot of people at the end of these shows. So let's start with this one. Evan, you're familiar with the game Do Mary Kill, right? 
So I want I'm I'm giving no qualifiers to this question. Do Mary Kill we're gonna play a version of this game with the following three Phoenix Suns teams. The 92-93 team, the 0405 team, so Nash's first year there, or that 0910 team. Which one are you doing? Which one are you marrying? Which one are you killing? And I'm leaving it intentionally open-ended to see where you go with this. Well, I'll do the 0405 Suns. They got to the Western Conference Finals, but that was it. So we'll move on from that. <laughs> and also seven seconds, or, seven seconds or less too. So we'll include that in there. That was fun to do. So, so I you would do it because why just that? Seven seconds or less. That's the funnest thing out there. So, okay, why not? Why not just roll with that? So, okay, yeah, you don't you don't marry the best do of your life, right? Yeah, so that's that's sort of what I'm saying. If it, it sounds like that was the best, that's the best team of the three. Probably, well, maybe not. I don't know. I guess I'm here to see your argument. The most, the most exciting, the most memorable. Yeah, most okay. exciting. Okay, all right, yeah. fair enough. Okay, uh, I'd probably say Mary '92-'93 Suns. You had Charles Barkley on the team. You made it to the finals, so make finals every single season. That'd be a very good thing. So why not marry it? Okay, and then kill the '09-'10 Suns. Just, just kill them. Man, that was such a fun <laughs> team, though. It was, but. Man, Man, just you got to pick one, I guess. The Robert Ory hip check, just bad memories. That was an 0910, right? Though that was the, the what? no 0910 no, was the yeah, year that was 0910 was the year Meta World Peace, and we're going to talk about this in a second. Yeah. The, oh. the Meta World Peace in the Western Conference Finals shot get, year with Alan Gentry. I would, as a head I, coach. would I would also kill the 910 team because. Yeah. Um, that was an out-of-the-blue team. The Suns had missed the playoffs the year before, missed it the seven years since. Uh, the the team they, they went to the conference finals with was never, ever going to come back the same because Steve Nash was literally on his last legs. Um, the guy then um, endured pubic shearing for the next two years, and then he never played again, um, hardly at all. I mean, he did go to the Lakers, but he never played again. Um, and then Amari Stoudemire's contract was going to be up and he had the awful injury history. And so that team was never going to come back. So I would, I would definitely kill the nine ten team and never, never see that again. Um, even though it was one of my most fun teams to actually watch, I, I just don't want to do that again. Um, and I would, I would, I would do the 92, three and 92, 93 team. And I would actually marry the 0405 team. Okay. Uh, sometimes you do marry the best you ever had, uh, especially if it lasts several years and, and it has a great future. Yeah. That, hey, can't argue with that logic. And it's not like, and that had a future and there was more to it. There was a lot more to that 0405 team. It wasn't just sort of the one night standish type of thing. That sounds weird. Uh, but there was a weird question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. This one's a little bit less weird, but I'm curious, you know, let's start with Evan and go to Dave. Like, I think this is something that Suns fans would think a lot about. Obviously, the Nash era never won a championship or never even made the finals, much to everyone's chagrin. And it seemed like every year there was some roadblock in the way that, oh, if they only had changed this one little thing, maybe it would have been different. So I'm going to put you all on the spot. Uh, You have the power to change one event in recent Suns history. Joe Johnson getting hurt in the 05 playoffs. Robert Ory hip-checking Nash, which you just talked about, in 07 and the suspensions. Tim Duncan hitting that three-pointer in game one in 2008, or Metal World Peace's miracle uh, shot to win game five in 2010. Which one of those events are you changing for to give the Suns the best chance of breaking through, and why? I definitely think it's the Ori hip check, because if Amari doesn't get suspended, I think the Suns end up winning that series. So I'd definitely lean toward the hip check, because if they win a title, like I think there's a very good chance of that becoming a very good team for multiple years to come and making a dynasty sort of so i think that hip check really changed a lot of things for suns fans so the hip check happened they're down 2-1 but they're about to win game four you, you have to I, i'm sorry to relive the details but i just want to make sure i get this right so then game five goes back to phoenix um the mavs were already knocked out right so this was kind yeah. of the two best teams left and who'd even oh lebron came out of the east so that would have been the winner. So the idea being that if if no suspensions, they would have won two of the next three games, you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree. And then they beat the Jazz. So is it the hip check for you too, Dave? Yeah, I would say the same thing, and I'll just uh, go through. So John J- Joe Johnson's face, in- face injury in the 05 playoffs, uh, that was a killer, but that Suns team was a total surprise, and I think they probably would have ended up losing that uh, 
that Spurs series anyway, just because Spurs. Uh, and then Tim Duncan's three and oh eight. The Suns were really just scraping at at ways to win games in that in that uh, playoffs. So that again, I think the Spurs would have ended up winning. Meta World Pieces game winner in Game Five in 2010. Again, that was like a, a lightning in a bottle that got quenched right there and would have been quenched later because the Suns were still down. Uh, well, they would have been. No, they went up three, three two. two. Going back if, home, but, but that, but they, that would have only forced overtime. Yeah, that's right. right. That would have only forced overtime, and you still have Kobe at home. So uh, I definitely think it's the Robert Ory hip checking, which is extremely unfortunate. Uh, but the Suns were. Um, about to win 2-2. I mean, you're talking final seconds. Um, sorry, tie the, ser- tie the series at 2-2. You're talking final seconds of the game. So it really was a 2-2 series with the Suns having two of the next three at home and having figured out how to beat the Spurs in San Antonio. Um, and even uh, uh, earlier in that series, you, you've got other things that were keeping the Suns back that they had figured out how to overcome. So I think the Suns really would have won that series. They would have uh, easily beat the Jazz, and they would have easily beat LeBron James's Cavs because the Spurs didn't lose another game after that, and the Suns would have been able to close out those series too. And then, as Evan says, the future would have been a little bit different in Phoenix. So game one of that series was when Nash broke his nose, right? Right. So there was that, and then game three was a Donaghy game. And I remember there being a lot of problems with officiating. Right. Yes. That's a game the Spurs won. So you could have argued that the Suns should have won all four of those games. Well, maybe not the third one because it was a blow, a bit of a blowout. But yeah, no, I mean, when you put it that way, I thought this would be really difficult. But when you guys put it the way you do it, like that makes a lot of sense. And I'm really curious. Let's say you could undo Amari's knee surgery from uh, 05. You know, does that rank any higher than any of these four moments? I think it comes in right behind the hip check, to be honest. So, But it's not ahead of the hip check. No. Mm, if you, if Amari had been uh, healthy for 05-06, that could have changed the Suns' future in a totally different way as well. Um, but that's so like what if, what if, what if? Because really, the, even the 05-06 team, that was actually, uh, to me, a little bit more exciting than the 04-05 team because they were such an underdog. Uh, if they had not lost Kurt Thomas, actually— uh, in January of that year, hmm. the Suns might have actually um, made it into the finals. Because if you remember that year, the Suns actually uh, made it to the conference finals and won game one against Dallas without Kurt Thomas in the conference finals. And then they lost Raja Bell to the Torrin Calf for several games. And really, Bell did come back, but he wasn't Raja Bell. Um, you take those two defenders out of it, and the Suns just didn't have the firepower to close out the Mavericks uh, when they needed to. And then the Suns could have made the finals that year too. So actually I think uh, the Amari, yes, the Amari knee injury and missing the whole 05, 06 season um, would come in number two behind the Robert Ory. Wow. Okay. Now that was the, year that, now if Kurt Thomas doesn't, Get injured? Does Boris Diaw emerge the same way? You know, who knows? A lot. Yeah, of- they didn't play the same uh, minutes or anything like that. Thomas was still only an eighteen-minute-a-game guy, but he made a huge difference in that time. He's kind of like Mark West back in the uh, early '90s for the Suns. So, um, I'm not saying Kurt Thomas was the end-all to beat-all, but he was the that last little bit of glue that could have kept there. Now, Tim Thomas would not have emerged. That's true. Without Kurt yeah. Thomas. And Tim Thomas hit that shot in the Lakers series. So but that's only after the Suns got down three, one in a series, they should have been able to win easily and <laughs> would have if they'd had Kurt Thomas. So yeah, I think, wow. I think definitely the, the Kurt Thomas versus Tim Thomas. I'd rather have Kurt. Man, this, we could go in circles for a long time about this. Yeah. And I, I'm curious what uh, your readers will think on some of these questions. Cause you know, sadly there's a lot in Suns history that you could say, if we change, that one little thing it could have been totally different um all right here's the next one we're gonna ask uh jersey sponsors are a big thing we've been asking a lot of people about jerseys but i think with the suns there's a pretty clear jersey pecking order you know as far as who you should get you know you want to get a booker jersey then you want to get a jackson jersey so i'm going to send a little twist on this question you get to pick which company sponsors the suns jerseys evan who are you picking and why Oh, I had a tough time picking this, but since I see it all the time at Talking Stick, I'm going to go Carl's Jr. 
Carl's Jr. <laughs> is it just to like kind of get the presence there more? Is there some sort of fast food tie-in? Because I feel like actually the timeline is the opposite of fast food, right? Would you want like a, a super long, like kind of gourmet right. meal? The, the old Heinz <laughs> ketchup. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Carl's Jr. Um, okay. And then the last question I'm going to ask before we get to predictions, and we've been asking this for everyone, is... You who is uh who's on your all time Suns banana boat team? So you basically get to pick three mem- players from Suns history to hang out with on a vacation. They're on your banana boat, and you can have any combination for any reason. You know, just the three people that you want most to be on a banana boat with you. Who are the three Suns in in Suns history that you want on your banana boat? All right, I'm going to go, let's see, I'm going to put Steve Nash on the banana boat because I've heard that guy is just a blast to have mm-hmm. uh, around you off the court. Uh, then I'm going to say Amari Stoudemire because there's uh, there, there would, he's a blast for a different reason. He doesn't know how he's so funny, whereas <laughs> Steve, Nash, yeah. Steve Nash does. Uh, and then, um, you know what, I think I'm going to go ahead and put Tom Chambers because that guy knows how to um, have a good time as well. No Barkley. <laughs> Barkley, yeah. Well, uh, he'll just complain that the that the uh, soda's flat and the cheese is cold the whole time. So I don't know about that. <laughs> okay, no Barkley. Uh, Tom Chambers, I didn't know was like sort of a fun go go lucky person. I guess this is something I learned. Uh, you're yeah, just he's nodding. Had some, he's had some issues with that where he's had to uh, lower his profile. Yep. Okay, you're just nodding. Uh, okay, Evan, is there, is who do you have on your banana boat? I'm going to try to reconcile some issues between some players real quick. I'm going to get Dragage, Bledsoe, and Isaiah Thomas on a banana boat and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, wow, you're putting yourself in a really difficult position there. I'm just going to media. I'm going to try making friends again. How are you going to do it? You know what? Um, I got to say that Goran Dragic was one of my favorite players ever. Um, when I started getting my credential was when Dragic came back his second time. And so he was actually my... Um, my go-to guy in the locker room. I mean, he was everybody's go-to guy, but he would actually stay behind and talk off the record and stuff. And he totally cool guy. I do miss having him around. He was very, very nice. Um, I'm not sure I'd want to party with him and, uh, you know, on a banana boat. Uh, but definitely, uh, yeah, if I had to choose, I'd pick Steve Nash. Sorry, Dragish. Wait, so Evan, I'm really curious though. Like what's your strategy for brokering peace between those three? How would you like kind of hit at them? Oh, I put a basketball in the middle and just see what happens. Oh, see, so trial by fire. Better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> who can play off ball better? Who can, who's a better facilitator? See, see if they can coexist a little bit. Because McDonough has been one that they haven't for years. So why not try it now? Yeah. Okay. But the, you're on the banana boat. So what you would be playing on the boat? <laughs> yeah, of course. That's not a lot of space on there. I would just be there. curious as to, as to who would make sure he was, he was at the front of the banana boat. That's oh, true. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Who, who's at the front of that one? Well, wouldn't it be you? I mean, you could say that, you know, you'd almost want to so, have. Who, who would come in second? Who would, yeah. be third? Yeah. who would allow themselves to be last? I think Dragic would allow himself to be last, but then he would eventually just get off and walk away. <laughs> I'm like envisioning like some sort of flattened banana where there's you at the front and then they all have to be on the same level. <laughs> like a flattened <laughs> banana. Interesting. <laughs> I would love to see Isaiah Thomas and Blitzer go after it and see who finishes second. Wow. <laughs> You're putting yourself in a tough position there. I guess you don't want to enjoy your vacation. Oh, man. I make, I make the joy out of the best things. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Um, no uh, no uh, Boris Diaw? No Boris Diaw on your boats? Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, no. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry, Tom Chambers. <laughs> <laughs> You want him completely spaced on Boris and Boris with with Steve and Amari. Oh, yeah, that would be that would would be good. Yeah. No Boris. Okay, so there we go. Uh, And I'm very curious what other Suns fans would pick because we're we've leaned very recent uh, with these Suns picks, except for Tom Chambers until we booted him. Uh, These have all been recent, (laughs) recent Suns uh, that we wanted on the banana boat. Uh, So none from like the. Barkley years, uh, no Barkley. Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, Jeff Hornacek is also a great guy, but again, uh, he's so family oriented. He probably wouldn't even get on the banana boat unless he brought his whole family. That's true. Um, and I think, uh, KJ, uh, from the things I've heard about him, I probably don't want to be on a vacation with him. Just a personal thing. Right. Um, <laughs> so when you go back in time, the more you know about them later in their, you know, in their lives and stuff like that, maybe, 
there's less you want to hang out. So um, I, I'm going to stay more recent for that reason. Fresh and recent. Okay. And you also, of course, have to think about the chemistry of the three people involved. You know, they have to get along. You yeah, know. That's tough in mine. So. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> went the opposite way. I'm guessing that nobody else will invite those three to their banana boat. You are, I mean, you must like brokering peace between people. Um, so I'm impressed. Um, or he just wants to see the, the timeline. Yeah, <laughs> or you want to see watch the world burn, <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah. the, but then you'd sink too, so you got to be careful. Okay, so um, those are your banana boats. So let's 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 make some predictions. Um, and I want to start with this question in this form: What is Evan the minimum that has to happen this year for this to be considered a success for Suns fans this year? I'd probably say see developments out of all the core four, at least significant developments, at least from Devin Booker and Dragon Bender. What do those look um, like? I think you have to have like piggybacking off Dave earlier. Dave or Booker needs to have a lot better playmaking ability. He's shown it off the ball, and he's also brought up a little bit. But seeing him more him bring out the court and facilitating the offense would be a really good sign. And also with Bender, seeing him getting more involved on defense because really last year he only played at the small four position at seven one. He didn't really have a good position to play at, and then you really get a lot of consistent minutes with his injury too. So really seeing him get a lot more just playing time with Dragon Bender to be honest. He didn't play much. He was injured. Uh, okay, Dave, best case, reasonable best case for this year, and then reasonable worst case, so not like everybody gets injured. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to say that. The worst thing that could possibly happen this year is if some of these core four guys get injured, more than one of them, and all of a sudden it's just a lost year and the Suns are stuck playing uh, Mike James 20 minutes a game. Uh, that would be really, really difficult to handle um but having put that putting that aside because nobody ever predicts injuries or not um i would say worst case is that a year from now these guys are still three years away and uh they win 20 25 games or the suns just you know kind of make some silly trades and and they're not happy with current development and then we're just starting over again next year um, that, that'd be worst case. Best case is you're still at 25, 30 wins at the most. Uh, two or three of the guys have developed into guys you think uh, are going to continue on an upward trajectory. I can't, I'm, I'm not going to be um, naive enough to think all four of those guys are going to show future stardom uh, this year. Um, but I do expect at least um, two of them for it to be a really good year for two of them to show that they're, that they are going to be guys who can be a cornerstone of a future. Okay. And let's put your money when your mouth is. Let's assume Kyrie Irving is not on the team. And so this is the team basically that gets brought in. If that's not the case, we'll ask you again, how many wins, uh, what place in the West, Evan? Um, I'd say 27 and 54 without Irving. I'll say that. And I'll say they're second to last in the West. 27 and 55. Okay. Dave. Uh, I'm going to go actually uh, uh, with 25 wins, and I'm going to say second to last in the West as well. That is the most reasonable we've had so far. We had Nets, our Nets people predicting wins in the 30s. So Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Tom hey. Lorenzo? No, it was, uh, it was Christian and Anthony Puccio. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> so... And then Lakers are a little all over the place. So I, I appreciate the rationale. You know, I don't want to say rationality because that sounds like it's wrong to be optimistic. The Wait, tempered it's, expectations. It's the timeline. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, wins and losses not that important. It's development. That's the case with a lot of these teams. Definitely the case with the Suns, a team that, as you guys have said, has sort of chased the shiny stars for a little bit too long. And now it seems like they're finally calming down, pending the Kyrie Irving situation. But... Dave King, Evan Cidery, which I it's not Cidery, it's it's Cidery, like apple cidery, as you were saying, right? Oh, there you go. Yeah, I told you I was going to work that in. Dave King, Evan Cidery from Bright Side of the Sun. What you guys got anything that you want to plug as far as that you're doing this summer that people should Suns fans should pay attention to? Uh, Brightside always rocks it in the summer. Uh, so you know, check our site every day. There's something fresh up there. Um, brightsideofthesun.com and of course we uh, do great on Twitter and Evan's uh, actually getting us going on Facebook more than yeah, we've ever been very good okay so Suns fans should definitely check the site out as you, as you guys can see like you know the Suns are not necessarily a team that 
we pay a lot of attention to nationally, but these guys really know their stuff. So this is, again, the third of 30 team previews. We've already done the Nets and Lakers. Coming up next, and I'm dreading this as we speak, it's Ben's beloved 76ers. Then we are going to do the Knicks and the Magic after that. But this is the Phoenix Suns. This is part three of a series. Dave King, Evan Sidery, thank you so much for joining us. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Podcast.